0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. The rumor mill, she is a warman. She is a warman. We heard Kevin Durant's Celtics rumors this morning. We've got Kings, Raptors, Wizards, Heat, Hornets, Hawks, Donovan Mitchell related rumors. We've got Russ stuff, because it really does feel like Russ is gone, gone from L.A., but nothing has actually happened yet. We remain floating in virtual limbo as we wait on any of these big trades to go down. It sounds more and more like Kyrie could potentially stay in Brooklyn. That's now on the table. Are the teams posturing? Are these things real? I don't know. I mean, if you're following different people on Twitter, you get totally different endings to all of this stuff. Ah, well. Uh, We had a fun one on Friday. Got to talk about some of the young guys. And um, that one, I think, landed nicely, especially the Tyrese Halliburton stuff, because he really is a fun one. Now, the way that some of that could get blown up is we've heard these Russ Pacers things going on, the Westbrook Pacers. I don't think that they play him. So if you're worried about that, I don't know that you need to be. It seems like if any team is going into a rebuild, Russ has value because, I mean, if you have multi-year contracts on the books and you want to get off of them, Russ, you can lump all of it into one guy and then just cut him. I don't know what he would get from a team. He'd sign somewhere. Somebody would pick up Russ. He'd have to, I mean, it'd be a big pride hit team that would have to say look man like you're you can't be what you were you'll be a bench guy on our team will it happen I don't know we'll see uh we do have a couple more names I wanted to talk about today on the sort of cases for number two that's what we did all of last week I don't think we're quite ready here off season episode 76 by the way I don't think we're quite ready to get into buckets just yet there's like this like one or two week bridge or gap we need to bridge, I guess I should say, that we're, we're about to start tomorrow. And so we might get a little bit creative here on the show, do a couple of fun little featurettes to pull us through to Bucket Town, or maybe we just launch into it early, I don't know. Whatever, we'll see. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. A Sports Ethos presentation. It's July 25th, and I think by tomorrow we will have passed June... Last month, as the most listened to non-ramp-up, basically, month in the history of this podcast. Non-ramp-up off-season month. So, basically, a month where, you know, you can't effectively do a mock draft. Meaning, May, right? May, June, or July. Although, May was a little different last year with the late playoffs. But, May, June, or July. Just, anyway. You guys are awesome. Um... I still can't believe the the numbers that we're putting up here in the offseason, and I have only you guys to thank. If there's anybody new listening, uh, would love a, a follow on Twitter, at Dan Vesperus. We do a lot of our work midseason over on Twitter. A lot of the preseason stuff, the ramp up, so mid-August basically to opening night, we do on the pod, not as much on Twitter, mostly because that's a time when we really want to get everybody over to the Brewski 150, B150 at Sports Ethos, it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. And what my job here on the pod is to kind of walk you guys through how to get ready for a season. And then once the season starts, you don't want to wait until a podcast the next morning. There's an immediacy issue that is not really at play in the preseason. So that's why we do it that way. Why does Twitter become way more active as soon as the season starts? That's why. Because you got to do pickups and drops. And sometimes you don't want to wait till the next morning. And then the pod, we use the pod to sort of round out the edges on that stuff, to apply the color, the color commentating, as it were. Our Twitter does the play-by-play, which is effectively drawing the outline. And then the next morning on the show, we color it in. Fun with the uh, crayons here on Fantasy NBA Today. The two players we hadn't talked about last week, you guys all figured out, process of elimination Giannis Anadokounmpo and Jason Tatum, and it wasn't really for any one particular reason or two or three, any amount of reasons that those guys fell to the following week. It's really just the nature of the beast. I started this who should go number two feature last Monday and plucked two names that almost seemingly were out of the sky in Luca and Steph, I went their direction because they were two of the top ADPs from last year behind Nikola Jokic. Luka went second. I think Giannis went behind him. We probably should have done Luka and Giannis on the same day. But once we didn't, then it sort of mushed things together in a weird way. But I was able to have some level of organization the other shows last week because, you know, on Tuesday we did Embiid and KD, which are the insanely high per-game upside guys with injury risk. You got LeBron and Harden, which are the almost as high per game upside potentially, but still some injury risk, maybe not quite as high, although arguments can be made on LeBron. And then Trey and Cat we did on Thursday. Those are the Durables, we call them. The Durables. The Curable Durables. And then Friday, our last show, the Young Guns, Lamelo and Tyrese Halliburton. I figured you guys would enjoy that one, and I think that generally was the case. So today, it's... The guys that were left that didn't really fit into a bucket, Tatum probably could have gone into the Durables camp. Giannis probably gone into the Luca. are we punting something camp, but he's better. He's more reliable. He's a better basketball player, like a more impactful one, which is saying something because Luka is, is a lot of impact. But let's dive into these guys. I don't know how long. This show might go a little bit shorter because I think there's a, a pretty reasonable be cases to be made on these as to why they should go pretty early, but I don't know how strong the cases are that they should go hyper early, despite the fact that we did have pretty good seasons from both. We'll start with Giannis. Giannis, 29.9 points per game. I think we can round that up to 30. Feel safe. 1-3 ball. Yay. Uh, 11 and a half rebounds per game, which is pretty nuts when you think about the fact that, you know, he was top, what, six, seven in the league in rebounding. He did play a lot of center last year with no Brooke Lopez. That didn't really impact the rebounding though, because Brooke is all about the box out anyway. 5.8 assists per game, 1.1 steals, 1.4 blocks, almost the exact same defensive stats actually as Joel Embiid. One of the best field goal percent guys in the NBA. Positive impact there. 55% on almost 19 shots per game. And to Giannis's credit, Giannis, by the way, was number six in the NBA in field goal percent impact behind Jared Allen, DeAndre Aiden, Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert, and the Time Lord. So five true centers. And then Giannis. And then the guys behind him centers also. Pirtle, Mitchell Robinson, Montrezl Harrell, Daniel Gafford, Rashawn Holmes, demonis Sabonis. Brandon Clark is the next sort of non-center. And what was he? I think he was the 13, 12 or 13, I said, there on the board. Pretty awesome what Giannis does their field goal percent. Now, the free throw thing, it's an issue. It remains an issue, but it's a slightly smaller one. And then it also does beg the question of, you know, is there room for growth there? Because dude still takes among the highest free throw count per game. He was second behind Embiid but only hit 72% of his free throws this last year. And I want to try to put this in perspective because the previous season, he was worse. So at 68%, 685 and a will be, you know, be fair about it. 72% this year was actually much more like, you guys might not remember this, and frankly, I'm not sure that I remembered it. A half decade ago, when Giannis was just coming into his own at superstar level. So basically the 16-17 season. year before that, he started to look pretty dang good, but it wasn't blow the roof off the building good. It was 16-17 where you started to really see that jump. He went from 17 points to 23, 1.6 steals, 1.9 blocks, 9 rebounds, 5.5 assists, and he shot, guys, 77%... At the free throw line that year, the following season, also kind of superstar level performance, 76% at the free throw line. This was the 2017-2018 season. And Giannis, per game that year, was number two. You guys not might not remember this, but right before the 18-19 season, there was a ton of discussion as to whether Giannis should be the number one overall pick in fantasy. Sorry, I got one number wrong there. He was actually number six per game that year on 76% free throw shooting, not number two. But he did play 75 games that year out of 82. So there was durability. That was a time when a lot of guys were actually playing a full season. That That's changed pretty considerably. And we're only talking about four or five years ago at this point. But, you know, the scoring is up now from uh, 27 to 30. The rebounding is up. The field goal percent is up. The point I'm trying to make here is not necessarily that Giannis is, like, we there's this is versus will be or could be thing going on. Giannis isn't a top two or three fantasy player in the NBA. Unless his free throw percent comes back up where it has been before. It was the 18-19 season where you started to see a drop-off. He was back down at 73% at the foul line, and a lot of his other stuff was still really, really excellent. 58% from the field, 12.5 rebounds per game, like a lot of his numbers jumped up, but free throw went down, and that yanked him in the wrong direction. He remained number six per game in fantasy, despite all of his stuff going up, because of the free throw situation. And it's kind of been that way almost every year, where everything just continues to get better for Giannis. He goes from 27 to 28 to 30 points per game. The COVID-shortened season was a little bit of a weird one, actually, despite the fact that they ended up winning the title. Giannis took a small step back, just in all the stuff he was trying to do, game-to-game basis. Small step. He went from thir- 29 and a half points back down to 28, but the thing, the thing about his free throw percent is it's all over the map, and so it's really hard to handicap other than to say, well, what's been the trend line? The trend line for Giannis was basically like the first five years in the NBA, his free throw shooting very slowly got better, not every year linearly, but overall. 68, then 74, 73, 77, 76. Like, there were these little jumps. And then it came back down to 73. And so there was that moment of, okay, well, is this, is he a 73% foul shooter now? And then it dropped to 63% the actual COVID year. And for Giannis, that was brutal. That dropped him to number 23 in the NBA per game basis because his free throw percentage was so far beyond everybody else in awfulness that there was no recovering from it. Despite being hyper-elite in scoring, rebounding, and field goal percent, there was no covering how bad he was at free throw shooting. Now, the following year, it did come back up a little bit, but still a pretty big disaster at 68.5%, and so he moved back up to number 16 You guys are seeing how this is going, right? So 63 and a half, 63 roughly, went up to 68 and change. He went from number 23 to number 16. And this most recent season, his free throw jumped from 68 to 72. And he jumped to number nine per game. While again, the rest of his stuff has been fairly constant for about three years in a row small changes, very small changes that, yeah, they do have a small impact, but it's not like, it's not the thing that's making the big jump. You know, the fact that his scoring went up a little bit season over season, that was fine, uh, but, you know, steals went down a tiny bit, and assists went down a tiny bit, and field goal percent went down a tiny bit. It was the free throw number. That's it. That's the only thing that matters with Giannis, because you know he's going to get you... Right about league average number of games played. That's where he's been at for three years in a row. He missed 9, 11, and then 15. And that's pretty much what the league has been missing. Before that, it was 10, 7, 2, 3, 1. Sorry, 2-2-1, I should say. So they're going to keep him healthy enough. They know it's all about the playoff run for Giannis. So don't expect him to play. 90% of his team's games. Expect him to get closer to league average, which this past season was just a shade over 80%. Yikes. I know, not a great number for the league, but that's where you're at. So expect him to be probably in that 67 to 70 range this coming year. Is he going to be a 72% free throw shooter again? Could it move back up to 75%? Because if you look at the board right now, It's not all that obvious who behind Giannis could pass him on a per-game basis, but I'll give you a couple of possibilities. Guys behind Giannis that could move in front of him per game, Anthony Davis, if his free-throw percent gets better. This is per game, by the way. Harden could potentially get past him because we've seen it before. We know with Harden, you know, it just takes another shot or two for him. I don't think Tatum gets past him, but it's a possibility... Lamello and Halliburton, possibilities, but unlikely. Mostly because the guys in front of Giannis, there are a few names that could very easily fall out of that bucket. Cat and DeJounte Murray being the most obvious candidates to move back. So by default, almost, and I don't, again, I don't know exactly what those hits those guys are going to take, but it's not going to be zero. By default, you probably move Giannis into the seven slot per game coming into this season. Now, do you think AD passes him? Maybe. So does that push Giannis back down to eight? Does Harden pass him? Could that push him down to nine? Could Kyrie Irving fall back behind him? Yes. Do they move back up one slot? So is then he eight again. All that to say, if nothing changes, Giannis probably stays right around eight or nine per game based on what he did this last year. If his free throw percent goes down by 3 or 4%, he falls into the middle of the second round. If it goes up by 3 or 4%, he has a case to be a top 5 per game fantasy player. And then if he's right around league average in games played, is Giannis a top 5 fantasy play this year? For the first time in a long time, the answer is maybe. Because for the last couple years, we've been basing our Giannis handicap on a guy who shot free throws in the mid-60s, and there was no prayer for him to get where he was being drafted with a free throw percentage that low. None. But he showed signs last year. What we don't know, though, is if it's going to keep going up. He's done it before, but, the same token, he's also shot in the mid-60s before. You can't really predict his free throw percent, not accurately, other than to say, look, what's a guy done over the last five years? 76, 73, 63, 68, 72. Probably puts him in the low 70s. Which means Giannis is probably a middle-to-late first-round pick. And that's still pretty good, but it's not number two. Maybe I should do another show with Anthony Davis. Ah, well. Let's do Jason Tatum. Because that one, there are legs with Tatum largely because he falls into the Durables camp. Although now we're hearing the Celtics are in on the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, and that would pretty much blow that up. Jason Tatum was number 15 on a per-game basis this year, which was, look, let's be honest, probably not as good as what we wanted. But he played in 76 of his team's ballgames, which was very much what we wanted. And to Tatum's credit, despite COVID and all sorts of crap, He has been unbelievably durable in his five-year career. Yeah, youth helps. He's still in the early parts, so his body hasn't broken down yet. But he plays. Now, we have another side of this equation to worry about. Celtics made the finals last year. There's a hangover effect that can come from that. Will he have the same drive in the regular season that he had this last year? I think the answer is probably if only because the Celtics, first of all, uh, well, they showed they could win on the road, but there's no, nothing is locked up standings-wise in the Eastern Conference. So there's always going to be this little struggle for home court. You don't really want to have to deal with some of the other teams on their home court, and it was within reach. Home court was within reach. Also, on the other side of it, you can fall out of the upper bracket in the East pretty quickly. Cause there are like four or five teams at the top that are all pretty dang good. Whereas in the West, it was like two teams were way out in front of everybody. And then there was a third that could have been, but there was an injury related. Like it wasn't as tough to remain in the top three. If you were already in the top three in the West, whereas, you know, in the West, once you fall into that next chunk, then you got to kind of worry about the play in tournament in the East you can probably be in the upper half of the bracket playing about as well as they did last year. Which, mind you, was pretty damn good, uh, but also included a really slow start. When you look at Jason Tatum, and you look at what he's done the last couple of seasons, the one thing that jumps out a little bit this last year is that steals actually fell off a bit. He was at 1.4 two seasons ago, and even at 1.2 last year, But a flat even one this season really wasn't quite good enough. But let's say, hypothetically, he does get back to 1.2 steals there. What's the other place that Tatum would need to make a jump forward to get into that middle first round group where, even with durability, you need to be there if you're going to pass the guys in front of you for number two? Because Embiid was, I know that Tatum was number five by totals this last year, but there was a pretty good gap between Jason and Embiid of almost like 30% production-wise. Almost, not quite. Like, that's a, that's a pretty big leap you'd have to make there. And I know maybe Cat falls out and maybe Trey falls out, so perhaps Tatum has a case even where he was last year to maybe get into that number three area. But what about KD? What about Halliburton? What about Ball? These guys all have a case for it. What if Steph stays healthier? What if LeBron stays healthier? You can't just assume that Tatum's going to do the same thing, but other guys will also do the same. Like, that's it just doesn't work that way. Tatum might miss a couple more games. LeBron might play it a few more. That part is... That can't be the way that we say Tatum gets into the top three. Oh, everybody else just gets worse, and he does the same thing. It's never that simple. The other way that Jason Tatum gets into that group, my assessment would be either there's sort of two because he took the exact same quantity of shots each of the last two seasons, 20.6. But his two-point attempts went down by one and his three-point attempts went up by one. But his three-point percentage went down from 39 to 35%. So, what if that comes back up to 39%? Well, that's a way that he could get to 3.2 or 3.3, threes per game. And that gets him, you know, an extra, what, point from 27 up to maybe 28 points per game? Free throw percent is going to be good on probably around six per game. That doesn't doesn't seem like that's an opportunity to move very much. And I don't think he's going to take many more shots, because the Celtics actually brought in more scorers. Malcolm Brogdon's in town. They still have White from last year. Not that he's a a massive creator or anything, but they didn't lose anybody. And the only thing we're hearing as a possibility is Jalen Brown is in a trade for Kevin Durant. Even if you include other guys with Brown, Kevin Durant coming in is not going to increase the number of shots that Tatum takes in a ballgame. Best case scenario is it stays the same. reality is it probably would go down. So I don't really know, from looking at the numbers here, how Tatum really does get into the middle of the first round. You could see a path for him to kind of get to the turn, because he isn't that far from those guys. Jimmy Butler was right in front of him. The Time Lord was right in front of him. And who knows, maybe Robert Williams doesn't do quite as well. He probably will. He'll love that guy. Uh, Trey Young maybe falls back, so perhaps Tatum gets a a one-slot bump if Trey falls out of the top 15. That gets him to 14, add 0.2 steals and 0.3 threes. Maybe that gets him to 13 or 12. But otherwise, there just isn't a way for him to chunk off enough to get to that, like, number 9 or 8 zone where he would probably need to be plus durability to get into the conversation for number 2 because that's what Cat was this last year. Cat was number 7 per game plus durable. That's how he got to number 3. Trey Young was number 11 and even more durable, like Tatum was, and that's how he got into that top five. So Tatum needs to probably get to at least number 10 per game, maintain what was a a crazy level of durability. He played like 92% of his team's games, which, fine, I know he's been doing that, so it's a possibility it could happen again. But a lot of things need to break right for him to get up into that top three, and there's just, in my estimation, you're sort of... At that point, you're just praying. Because there are better options at two than Jason Tatum. There might not be better options at, like, six, because you can lump him into the rest of that group. But I still think from all the stuff that we've looked at over the last six shows, two players per show, there were a few names that had a better case for that slot than the rest. And so I think what we'll probably do on tomorrow's show is wrap up the 12 names. And you guys probably, some of you figured it out, although I got some tweets that were like, do any of these guys, like, what was the point of this, Dan, if you're just going to tell us not to draft any of these guys? And that's not what I did. I gave you guys cases for and cases against all 12 names for that number two spot. But you may have noticed a few had a better attack avenue than the others, where you need... Less or fewer number of things to break right to get it there, and that's what we'll do on Tuesday's show tomorrow. Today we'll put a pin in it. I want to talk about some of these rumors kicking around, but I sort of don't at the same time. Uh, until something happens, I don't know. It's hard to ignore them. They're they're big ones and they're big players, big name players, big time fantasy guys. Ah, well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Shout out to, again, our baseball and our football stuff. Hey, uh, football premium, I think it's supposed to drop as early as today. On the very worst case, it sounds like it might be dropping uh, tomorrow just to make sure everything is ready to go. So please do check out the Fantasy Pass. That will have football premium in it. Very, very cool. And JP putting out that awesome football podcast these days as well. Let's rock. I am Dan Bespris. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Have a great Monday, everybody. Episode 76 of the offseason in the hopper. We'll make another one tomorrow, won't we? So long.